This is day 105 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing Psalm chapters 43 through 47. Lord, Heavenly Father, vindicate us, Lord God. Save us from those that are against us. Save us from ourselves, since we're so prone to sin, Lord. Please bring us to peace with ourselves through your perfect will. Please bless us and strengthen us as we go through our days, Lord, because we're so weak. We're so wayward and confused half the time. Lord, please give us clarity of mind and strength of spirit in order to not sin against you. Please bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us the work that you did in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations. Then you planted them. You afflicted the peoples. Then you spread them abroad. For by their own sword they did not possess the land, and their own arm did not save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your presence, for you favored them. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you we will push back our adversaries. Through your name we will trample down those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor will my sword save me. But you have saved us from our adversaries, and you have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted all day long, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. Yet you have rejected us, and brought us to dishonor, and do not go out with our armies. You cause us to turn back from the adversary, and those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. You give us as sheep to be eaten, and have scattered us among the nations. You sell your people cheaply, and have not profited by their sale. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing and a derision to those around us. You make us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my dishonor is before me, and my humiliation has overwhelmed me because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, because of the presence of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, 
but we have not forgotten you, and we have not dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, and our steps have not deviated from your way. Yet you have crushed us in a place of jackals, and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God, or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. But for your sake we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Arouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul has sunk down into the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up, be our help, and redeem us for the sake of your loving kindness. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of ivory palaces, stringed instruments have made you glad. King's daughters are among your noble ladies. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty, because he is your lord, bowed down to him. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. She will be led to the king in embroidered work. The virgins, her companions who follow her, will be brought to you. They will be led forth with gladness and rejoicing. They will enter into the king's palace. In place of your fathers will be your sons. You shall make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the peoples will give you thanks forever and ever. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, 
and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake as its swelling pride. Salah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning comes. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Salah. Oh, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with the voice of joy. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over the earth. He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us, the glory of Jacob, whom he loves. Salah. God has ascended with a shout the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of the whole earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled themselves as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. So, chapter 43 is actually considered by most to be part 2 of chapter 42, because they seem to be one cohesive thought. But if you notice the theme from chapter 42, you see such despair and lamentation in chapter 42. And then in chapter 43, you see a claim of confidence and hope and knowing that God can vindicate us from evil things. The Lord is our rescuer. He is the one who is protecting us all the time from forces of evil. And we have to recognize the things that he is already doing for us by his grace, even if we're not obedient to him. I'm not saying that it's okay to not obey him and let him do as he pleases, but certainly we should be cooperating. But God is constantly involved in every aspect of our lives, as small and great. And certainly we need to remember that. And that's why we should ask ourselves in verse 5, just like it said in chapter 42, 
Why are you in despair, oh my soul? As if to remind ourselves when we're depressed or we're frustrated or overwhelmed. This is what we should ask ourselves. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. God is in control. God is the one that we look to to be lifted up, to be comforted, to be exalted, to be restored. And again, we don't usually run to him first, but we really need to. And that's something that doesn't come naturally to us. And so that's why we spend time in the Word. That's why we spend time in prayer, if we're praying at all, so that we learn how to discipline ourselves into this habit. It is a new habit that we have to learn, and it takes time. But you have to take it seriously, and that's the thing. Chapter 44 is a psalm of national lament, more for geared towards the nation of Israel itself. And just to remind the nation, who brought them this far? And that's something that we should be responding to ourselves is, have I gotten this far on my own? And if we think the answer is yes, then, well, that's not true. We are taking the credit that God deserves. We are only where we are today because God has brought us here. And just the simple fact that those of us who are listening that are redeemed by the blood of Christ, the ones who are saved by his grace, that is such a joyous occasion, something that we should be boasting about. That's why, like it says in chapter 44, verse 8, in God we have boasted all day long, and we will give thanks to your name forever. And we literally will because we are saved and we will be with him in his heavenly kingdom. But we should be boasting about the Lord. This is the only kind of boasting that's okay. Not boasting about ourselves, but boasting about God in our lives. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you boasted about the Lord to somebody outside of church? Hopefully it's not that hard to remember when it was, if we're doing what we're supposed to. But if you are having trouble, then this is the chance to change it. You have the awareness now that perhaps there's something that we need to, we need to fix in the way that we interact with people. Our gospel is not supposed to be hidden. It's not meant to be secret. It's not meant to be internalized. We are specifically instructed to Go and make disciples. And we can't do that if we're just keeping it to ourselves. And it goes to that same point, like it says here in chapter 44, verse 20. If we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. This is very important to remember. You don't think God notices what you're doing? All those things that you're doing nobody else knows about? He knows. He's watching you do it. 
and he disapproves of those things. Or hopefully the things that you're doing that nobody knows about are good things. Prayer. Service. Financial giving. Giving of your time. Resources. Counseling someone. All those things that is a thankless job or is behind the scenes. God sees and he blesses those things. But at the same time, secret sins, he knows about them. If we have forgotten our Lord, how do we forget him? By not obeying him. It's not that we forgot who he is, right? It's talking about we're forgetting what his standards and his statutes are and we do whatever we please. And that usually means we are extending our hands to a strange God. Be an addiction, a habit of ours, a hobby that overwhelms us or causes us to fall away. You name it. There's a lot of things it could be. Don't you think God knows about it? Because it says here that he knows the secrets of the heart. And he's the only one that knows the secrets of your heart. Satan loves to figure out what it is. And sometimes we give ourselves away in that manner. But we should not be so easily deceived or so open with the enemy. And that's really what he is. He's our enemy. So we should be like the sons of Korah in chapter 44, where we are pleading with God to arouse himself to our cause. Not that God is ignoring us or sleeping, but it's that idea that, Lord, we want to see you act. We want to see you do something and give you the glory for it. Like it says here in verse 23, arouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our afflictions and our oppression? Rise up, be our help, and redeem us for the sake of your righteousness. And again, it's not about us. It's for your name's sake, Lord, that you do this. Protect your name. I bear your name as your child. Protect your name by protecting me. Please, Lord. And then we have a huge paradigm shift in chapter 45. This one is heavily prophetic and heavily about Christ. Now, my interpretation of what I'm reading here is verses 1 through 9 are about Jesus Christ, the coming king. Because you see that you are fairer than the sons of men, which means that he's above them, right? Grace is poured upon your lips. And in my translation, it has capital Y, your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you, capital Y, you forever, meaning that it's referring to another person of the Trinity. And in this case, it's referring to the Messiah, Christ. So it shows him as being majestic and loved and glorified by his father. And then he comes as a warrior. And that would be when he returns. Verses 4 through 6 could be both times when he was already on the earth and when he's returning. Because 
he will ride in victoriously. He was victorious in what he came to do, right? He came to die for our sins, showing us the way of salvation. He did that. For the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness, he demonstrated all those things. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Not only did he teach, but he also performed miracles, awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. So, Satan and his demons shudder at the name of Christ. And when he addressed a demon, they freaked out because they know who he is. And his arrows are sharp because they pierce down to the core of all the people he ever spoke to, right? He got down to the root problem of their hearts. His arrows are sharp. And those that are against God and reject him, they fall. But those that he pierces through their heart and they accept him, then they are saved. And so you see such miraculous prophecy here about what Christ is going to do when he comes. Then verses 10 through 17 seems to be describing either Israel or the church, but either way, I see it as being language more about the bride of Christ, which would be the church. It really can't be anyone else because of the way it's described here. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty, because he is your Lord, bound down to him. He is our Lord, and we should be bowing down to him. Forget about your people and your father's house. Don't worry about the people of this earth. Abandon everything that is secular, and then the king will desire your beauty. How awesome is that, that if we put God first, he uses us. And that's kind of what it's talking about here, is pay attention and abandon everything. Like it says, like what do you say? If anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's kind of that same idea here. And then it's talking, verse 13 and on, talking about how glorious the church is and the process of being sanctified, being made holy for the day when the full bride of Christ, the church, is going to be joined with him at his second coming. Like a bridegroom walking into the room and the bride is expecting him and we are waiting for him to walk up. We should be expecting Christ to return and be happy about it. How often do we think about that on a day-to-day -day basis? About thinking about God's returning one day. Christ could be here right now. He could be here tomorrow. He could be here in a year from now. But I know with confidence that Jesus is returning for me. And he's going to deal with all these evil people in the world in one fell swoop, in one swing of his sword, they're all going to fall to their knees and submit to him. So we see this beautiful distinction of Jesus Christ being the king, 
not only the one that has come, but that will come again. I like Psalm chapter 46 very much, um, especially some of the main verses in here. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's there. He is there in the middle of our troubles. The whole nation's made an uproar, the kingdom's tottered. You're going to have powers and systems and governments and on a large scale that are getting into an uproar. And it's going to be chaotic at times. But then what does God do? He raises his voice and the earth melted. He, he just speaks his he just speaks firmly to the earth and it just all falls into place. Everyone just is stunned when he does that. And that is the Lord that's with us. So we may think we're outnumbered. We are, if you're talking strictly numbers. But we have an infinite, all-powerful God at our side who is leading the cause for us. That's why it says here, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, cease striving and know that I am God. This term, cease striving, your translation may say, be still. The whole thing it's trying to say here is, if you were to put it in a more watered-down vernacular, stop fighting me. Think about it. He's telling us to stop fighting with him and know that I am God. We're not just us, it's about the world. Because really, it's the world that's fighting him, right? We, we fight him sometimes because we're disobedient children at times, and we, dis, we, we get naughty, and we don't listen very much. But the ones that are actually fighting against him are the same ones that we talked about in Psalm chapter 2. The nations of the earth rising up against God. That spiritual warfare. And he's trying to get through to these people. Cease striving and know that I am God. Stop fighting me and recognize that I am sovereign over all of creation. And he makes a promise in the next sentence. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Can we say this has happened yet? I would say no, because this world does not trust the Lord is God, right? Usually the world is against him. But there will be a day where he will return and he will put everyone into judgment and he will be exalted. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree or not, he is going to be exalted. You will bow before him. You will submit to his power. So it's much better if we were to do it willingly. Then we have chapter 47. And this one is again talking about God's kingship. The Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdues peoples under us. For God is the king of the whole earth, seeing Praises with a skillful psalm. The shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. We know 
that Jesus Christ ultimately will be the one who rules over everything. We read that in the book of Revelation, and that is going to happen. He is already king. His people don't know it yet, but they will when he returns. Nobody will miss it, and we will get to see it happen. And if we are not alive when it happens, then we will be joining him in the air when our bodies reassemble and become glorified forever. How amazing is that? That is our God. And I think that's appropriate to stop here because that's the posture of heart that we need to leave with. The Lord is King. He's king over this world. He's king over my heart. He's king over my life. And do I accept him as my Lord and as my king? It's very easy to accept Jesus as Savior for a Christian. But do we accept him as Lord? He requires both. We recognize him as the one who saved us from damnation, but we also recognize him as king and sovereign in our day-to-day lives. And with that in our mind, that will make us much more resistant to sin and rebellion. So I hope that it inspires you to think that way. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.